Well, good morning. This has been um, a weird Sunday in that we've had three weirder. services and every one has been radically different. I mean, it's, it's not just been, they all look like the last one. So the last service, we had three baby dedications at the beginning. There's a lot. All those ba baby dedications accounted for 15 minutes. And we have nothing to account for that in this service. And some of you are cheering because you get out 15 minutes early. <laughs> I can talk really slow. So don't worry. You'll get out on time just like normal. Well, that's what I wanted. Anyway, like, is the chair for story time? or I'll tell you later. Okay. So anyway, no, it was, it was, that was very fun. I mean, just yeah. really, really great to... One, one little baby was actually a year old today. And I don't know what your one-year traditions are, but ours were put the cake in front of them and see what they do with it. And they just make a nice frosting mess of themselves. And, and actually, I, I don't remember why we did watermelon with Nate. I don't remember if he didn't like cake or what it was. But um, boy, he made a disaster of that watermelon. It was fantastic. Watermelon and whipped cream. I mean, it's better I mean, than most of the mulch he was eating at right, the time. So. Exactly. One-year-old fist into the watermelon. It was, it was so good. It was so good. So hope you had a great week. Uh, Fun week ahead. I, I hear that we're going to 85 degrees. That that will be interesting to say the least. It's gonna be really hard to be at school. All the all <laughs> the other fun coming this way. So, we have one main announcement to drill, 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 drill today, and it is Green Lake registration ends next Sunday at midnight. Now, when I know did we start registration. This is a question you should have asked me I mean, before we were up here. It was, it was snowing and frozen, right? Yes, yes. But and, snowing and, and frozen was like last week. Oh, I, I so hear you. I, but, but in other I words, I think it was February. It's real it February. easy when Late it's January, way February, back February, then to think, oh, I've got time. Yeah. And then you got time. And then you got time. And now we're down to, no, really, you don't have time. No time. Literally it's no time. time. Yeah. This week is the week to get signed up. We have um, just such an awesome plan. I was working through a ton of stuff for our trip. Um, yesterday, and the, I'm telling you, what, what we have this year is going to be different than, than it's ever been for many different reasons, um, from where we stay to what we're studying. It's going to be a really, really cool year, and I'm looking, to, I'm looking forward to seeing what, uh, what all we can get, get accomplished since we weren't able to be there last right. year, and just see uh, how it all, how it all comes together. I had this dreadful realization that Buckthorn had a year to get ahead of us. You know, normally we're year after year on top of it. Now, I'll, I'll bet some of that with two years growth is like 25 feet tall. That yeah, and the scary is, thing wah! is like a buckthorn, I don't know if like it's gotten a hold of HGH or steroids or something. Like it grows fast. I know, I know. Like, Once you start cutting it, it just, it loves to keep growing. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So Yeah. Uh, so with that, if you have questions today after the service, I'm going to be right up here waiting. I want to answer those questions, whether it's, you know, as simple as when are we going, what all do the kids need to bring. Um, if it's a question about money, please come and ask me because we want to make sure that all of our students that are entering sixth grade all the way up to leaving for college are able to attend. Uh, we're going from June 6th to June 11th. So the, the thing that I love about Green Lake specifically is that it's really a dead zone for cell service. Now, don't worry. Don't worry. We have ways of keeping track of kids, and if something bad happens, uh, you know, they're not, like, stranded, okay? Um, but, I, I, can I get a little gruesome? Go. I'm going to get a little gruesome, okay? Um, I was, I, Riley and I were making some 
um, some Italian beef this afternoon. And as I'm cutting up the beef, I, I got this image in my head of like how this beef would have made it to us. And at some point, this meat would have had, yeah, I know. At some point, this meat would have had a big hook in it, okay? Yeah, 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 I know, I know, I said gruesome, I'm sorry, so I get it, okay? But these meat hooks, they help you move the big chunks of meat that are, you know, you don't want to touch it, you got the big hook, you move it, slide it along, okay? Green Lake is our opportunity to get those meat hooks into our kids, not literal meat hooks. (laughs) So for all the sixth graders who are like, I'm not going anymore. No, like, through the years, I've got to admit, there have been a few sermon analogies I used that afterward I said, yeah, that one didn't fly. No, I'm in on this one. <laughs> I'm in on this one. I'm sticking to it. The spiritual meat hook. Because the thing about it is when you get to, Good see, luck. When you get to see a kid, when you get to spend time with a kid here Sunday morning for an hour or two on Sunday night or an hour or two on Wednesday, it's hard it's hard sometimes to, to really know where they're at, to know what they're struggling with, to get on their level. That week when you're working side by side with a student mm. and you see how they work and the random conversations that might start with you know, some incredibly weird thing then can lead to a developed relationship. It can develop into that, that hook into our kids that that now we, we are able to partner with parents in raising the kids up, just like we talked about with this dedication. It's not a guarantee. Ba- getting your baby dedicated is not a guarantee that, yep, they're going to heaven. Mm. Now see, you know, see you when you die. Mm. No. This is a, it's a process. And it's, it, takes, it takes a team to do that. So we want to partner with that dedication idea, the family dedication. This is the church family. We're here. We want to be here for those kids, and, and that week is just, it's incredible what we're able to do when we can get those meat hooks into them, so. Sirloin filet brisket. <laughs> those are the new, name, new names, okay? You ready? There we go. Very fun. Oh, no, that's cool. That is cool. So, signed up by next Sunday. Next Sunday, yeah. And no sense in waiting until next Sunday. Get yeah. on it and do it. Very, yeah. very good. Mm-hmm. Well, we want to really keep our time of announcements focused on that and having said that next sunday you can get involved in step up so that that's the group that we're offering three-week group to get an idea of the way god designed you and the ways that you could plug in around the church though it's three weeks we're taking off mother's day so it's the second the 16th and the 23rd from three to five we'd love for you to be a part of that thank you for your continued faithfulness in giving You've been so good about making this transition away from a, a passing basket. And, and, you know, along the idea of the offering, I've been amazed at the number of people this year who have come and volunteered to pay for or cover a kid who's going to Green Lake. I mean, just again and again, even at the door this morning on the way out. Yeah. Hey, I want to I take... And the person's story was cool myself, because yeah. they said, when I was at that stage, somebody was doing that for me all the time. And this is my way of being able to say wow, God made a difference in my life. I want to make sure a difference is made in someone else's. So, so that was really, mm-hmm. a really, really cool thing as well. Got anything else? No, I do not. All right. Well, then we're going to move on to um, Psalm 130. And uh, just, I think Psalm 130 and Psalm 131 are probably my two favorite Psalms of Ascents. They're, they're really good. So I'm going to go ahead and have you read 130 in the English Standard uh, Version of the Bible 
Again, English Standard, you know, we, we, do, we use more than one version around here. We use a New Living Translation quite a bit, which is a common, a common English language Bible, American English. Uh, we use New International Version. English, uh, ESV. We use that one when we're trying to get just as literal as possible. What's the most literal way that this is translated? So if you go ahead and read that for us, Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning, more than watchman for the morning. O Israel, I hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Now, whether it's a paper Bible or going online using a a tool like uh, Bible.com or Bible Gateway, I think it's really good to have two versions going at the same time. And what that, what that does for us then, like in this case, because English Standard Version is very literal, I'm going to want alongside to have a version that's, can I say, a little more flowery, one that isn't being as, as tight with the translation but that's giving you more of an English idiom, helping you to understand what's going on with the passage. And it almost starts to serve as a commentary right off the bat. Even though you're still reading the Bible, we're still reading, um, yeah, still reading the Bible, you're getting commentary on the passage by reading another version. And we're going to see that that happens as we read this out of the message. Go ahead. Help God, I've hit rock bottom. Master, hear my cry for help. Listen hard. Open your ears and listen to my cries for mercy. If you, God, kept records of wrongdoings, who would stand a chance? As it turns out, forgiveness is your habit, and that's why you're worshipped. I pray to God, my life is a prayer, and wait for all he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. O Israel, wait and watch for God. With God's arrival comes love. With God's arrival comes generous redemption. No doubt about it, he'll redeem Israel and buy back Israel from captivity to sin. So look at the way this worked. I'm, I'm going to jump back. That second, that second section, second paragraph, and the second verse in it. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. You read that, you're like, okay, I get that there's forgiveness. I'm not sure why in the world I'm scared of God because, you know, he's forgiven me. But then you come back over to what he says, as it turns out, forgiveness is your habit. I, boy, that, that just grabs me. Forgiveness, forgiveness is a habit of God. I, I want you to remember that line. Forgiveness is a habit of God. He's in the habit of forgiving us. And then that next slide, and that's why you're worshipped. Why is he using the word worship there? You know, we immediately think of singing or something like that. Worship is reverencing. Fearing God is reverencing God. It's respecting God. And so we have a chance to reverence God when we, are, when we know that he is in the habit of forgiveness and he has forgiven us. So I've not even opened a commentary yet or, or phoned a friend or anyone else, and already I'm starting to get some understanding of what's going on in the text 
because I read it in more than one version. So thanks so much. Uh, I like to take trips. I like to drive. I don't love to drive. I like to drive. I would prefer to fly, but more often than not, we don't fly. More often than not, we drive. And uh, I've, I've had a chance to go to a lot of different places, probably like you. Grew up in western New York, so I've driven from here back to that hometown between Buffalo and Niagara Falls. I've driven from the Midwest down to Florida. I've driven from here out to Colorado Springs. Driven from here down to Abilene, Texas. Uh, driven from here to Kim's family area, which is over in Bozeman, Montana. So on these drives, long drives, these aren't, these aren't just quick drives, on these long drives, some of them multiple day drives, you learn some things about yourself and about driving and how you handle driving. And what I've realized through the years is I'm pretty good with about four hours of driving. Four hours is where I go, that felt good, I'm okay, great, great trip. Four hours in one minute, something starts to happen. So if we're going to Green Lake, that's about a three hour and 45 minute trip great. Head down to where I go in St. Louis, four hours. Great. Get past that four hours, and, and I start to get distracted. I start to get sleepy. I start to want to stop at every rest stop. I start to want to stop at every McDonald's. I just, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, I get into this antsy part of the trip that I'm like, I wish it would end. It's driving me a little crazy. I'm a little distracted, but, but we keep going. You get through to about eight hours, and, and that is my absolute outer limit. I'm done, but if Brian and Riley are in the car, or if Nate's in the car, or Shelly's in the car, they say, we are keeping going. We're not stopping. We're getting through this. We're going to make it all the way there. And I say, fine, you drive. And I move on over, and I watch them drive for a little while, and, and, and continue on through that part of the trip. It's interesting, because when you get to that part of the trip, things start to happen. And, and that's about where we are in the trip we're taking on Sunday morning right now. We're in these Psalms of Ascents. Remember the Psalms are journey Psalms. People were all over Israel and they're coming from all over Israel to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship. And, and along the way, they're, they're taking that journey and given the fact that we're at Psalm 130, we're about three quarters of the way through the trip. We're, we're a little past eight hours and we're going into the final part of the trip. That part where, where stuff starts to happen. That part where if you've not maintained your car well, it lets you know. All of a sudden, part of your tire peels off. And you're like, I wonder why that happened. Because you've had those tires since you bought the car, and you're now at 250,000 miles. And you probably should have changed them sooner. Or, or that little light that kept saying engine problem. Oh, now you find out what the engine problem was. You start to get aware. Your car starts to get angry. If you're taking kids, the kids start to get angry. They're sick of watching the only DVD you brought for the entire trip. Or whatever it is, they're getting a little restless and angry. The spouse is starting to get angry because you just don't drive right. So you got that thing going. You got, you got all, this, all this frustration going on in this part of the trip. It's starting, you're starting to wonder why you started the trip in the first place. Well, that's where we are in this particular journey. If we were driving to New York, we we're in Erie, Pennsylvania. If we're driving to Florida, Georgia is pretty much done and, and, and we're getting really close to the state line. 
We're driving to Texas, getting over to Abilene. We are at Wichita Falls. Oklahoma is behind us. No more Tulsa. No more Oklahoma City. If we're going to Bozeman, we are finally at this part of Montana, and we've only got about eight hours to go, and we're going to be there. We're going to finally make it. That's where we are in this journey. Most of it is behind us, but it's still far enough that it's a trip. And in this part of the journey, at this part of the trip, problems happen. And what I love about the Psalms of Ascents is that the psalmist doesn't cover up the problems. Up until now, we've been pretty much hearing about the perspective we need for the journey. But it is at this point that the psalmist acknowledges that even people who love God face suffering. Even people who love God go through trials. Even people who love God have hard times. And I don't know what it is about us as Christians, but we like to deny sometimes that bad things happen. We like to deny sometimes that bad things happen. (laughs) You want to take a guess? You know, so what happened this morning is the baby played with my mind. I won't tell you what. If that does that one more time, you're bringing me a handheld. We are not going through this all morning, okay? So, bad things happen. This is not part of the plan, I promise. Christians don't like to acknowledge that bad things happen. Christians like to believe that if I love God, if I love Jesus, bad things might happen around me, but they don't happen to me. Suffering happens to other people, but suffering doesn't happen to me. And the psalmist says, yes, it does. Yes, it does. We all go through junk. We all go through hard times. We all hit three-quarters of the way through the trip and start to realize that there's broken stuff in life because we live in a broken world. So looking at this psalm today, I want you to notice five things. First of all, I want you to just take a look at the structure. Sometimes it's good to just look at a passage and see how is it laid out before me, especially a psalm. How is it laid out? This particular psalm, I I took the numbers off, so you're just seeing the passage, four paragraphs or four sections, two verses per section, and you can see there's a main line and a supporting line, main line and a supporting line. As you're working through it, you start to realize that each of those four paragraphs has a little bit different theme going to it, but there's a common thread running through the entirety of the psalm, just like we've had in the others. You're looking at this psalm and you start to read the words and one of the first things you realize is this psalm is very personal. Now remember, this is a group of people singing together. The pronoun should be we, us, our. They should be collective pronouns. And instead, what does he say? Out of the depths, I cry to you. Lord, hear my voice. It's very personal. It's very individualized. He's coming at this from from the standpoint of himself, and he's inviting us to sing along, but he's saying, you sing your song, and I'm going to sing my song. You sing your pain, and I'm going to sing my pain. You sing your suffering, and I'm going to sing my suffering. And I really believe this is part of the the beauty of the design of the Psalms on the part of the Spirit of God, that that he designs the Psalm in such a way that when you're at your three-quarter mile in the journey, you can pull this out and you can pray it yourself. This isn't the psalmist's psalm, this is your psalm. 
and you can personalize it, and you can carry it, and you can sing and pray what you're going through at this particular part in the trip. So it's personal. Not only is it personal, it's intense. Out of the depths, I cry to you, O Lord. Do you hear him? This isn't, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, thank you for this food, and God, pray for that missionary over in Bangladesh. And, amen. It's, it, this isn't a surfacy, just kind of rope prayer. This is, I am in pain, I am in anguish, I am at rock bottom. You can hear the intensity of his heart as he cries it out before God. There, there's nothing about this that's veiled. He's willing in front of all the people to say, I'm going through junk, or I have gone through junk, and I, and I want it to be clear. This is where I am. There's an intensity about it. And in the intensity, there's also some real vulnerability. He owns it. He says, this is me. This is what I'm going through. He talks in particular about, about the need for forgiveness of sin, that, that he was in a state that he needed to be forgiven. He needed the forgiveness of God, and he's willing to own that in front of everybody. He's like, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not without fault. I'm not without sin. And he's vulnerable in front of the people of God. He lets them know where he is. Now, again, part of the design of the Spirit that's so beautiful is he doesn't get into what his sins are. He doesn't give us a list of his two or three biggie sins that have marked his life. And, and it really, I believe the Spirit designs the Psalms this way so that we don't read his Psalm and go, oh good, I never committed that one. I don't need to read Psalm 130 ever again. But we can realize that we've all committed sin. We've all lived in a state of iniquity. We've all needed forgiveness. And so it's personal, and it's intense, and it's vulnerable. And the last word, I, I hope you won't hear it as irreverent, but I couldn't think of a better way to say it. It's God-soaked. It's just, it is saturated with God. We have eight verses, and God is mentioned eight times. God by name is referenced eight times. Four times he's referenced as, oh Lord, oh Lord. Four times, oh Lord. I, I don't know what your, what your label or your term is for God when you're in a place of suffering, when, when you're in that rock bottom pit, but I'll tell you, one of mine honestly is, oh Lord. I, I just find myself saying, oh Lord, what's going on? How are we going to make through this? Oh Lord, we need your help. It's, it's, it, there's, a, there's a desperation, a beautiful desperation in the label he uses for God to say, oh Lord, it's God-soaked. And, and the God-soaked is important because there are two things going on here. What is normal? Suffering is normal. It's normal. It's normal to go through suffering. But it's also normal for the suffering, for the Christ follower to go through suffering with an eye on God. It, not to just remove our eyes from God, this passage is God-soaked, and we're to be God-soaked as well. We're to realize that God has a place and a purpose in store as we're walking with him through our own valley of suffering. So let's go ahead and start to break down the passage. We look at that first paragraph. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ear be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. I've mentioned to you that I've relied on, on several sources to understand these psalms better. And one of them is a book by Eugene Peterson called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. 
When I looked at this particular chapter, the first two paragraphs were striking to me. And rather than simply paraphrase them, I want you to hear the way he says this. The first line is incredible. To be human is to be in trouble. You may want to go ahead and make that one plaque on the dining room wall. To be human is to be in trouble. We all go through troubles. We all have difficulties. He says, the anguish, Job's anguish is our epigraph. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. upward. Suffering is a characteristic of the personal. Animals can be hurt, but they do not suffer. Some of you are not going to hear another word I say all day. Because you're like, my puppy suffers, or my goldfish, he was hurt and he suffered. You know, argue with Peterson about it, although you're going to have a hard time. He died about a year ago. But anyway, um, the earth can be ravaged, yet it cannot suffer. Man or woman alone in all of creation, suffer. For suffering is pain plus. It's physical or emotional pain plus the awareness that our own worth as people is threatened, that our own value as creatures made in the dignity of God is called into question, that our own destiny as eternal souls is jeopardized. Are are we to be finally nothing Are we to be discarded? Are we to be rejects in the universe and and thrown onto the garbage dump of humanity because our bodies degenerate or our emotions malfunction or because our minds become confused or our families find fault with us or or society avoids us? Any one of these things, or more likely a combination of them, can put us into the state of Psalm 130 described as the bottom has fallen out of my life. I am in the pit. Now, he goes on to say, don't miss this part, a Christian is a person who decides to face and live through suffering. A Christian isn't a person who gets a a free pass on suffering because they're a child of God. A Christian is a person who faces into suffering, who, who is honest about the reality of suffering, who isn't afraid to say it's real, it is. If we do not make that decision, We are endangered on every side. A man or a woman of faith who fails to acknowledge and deal with suffering becomes, at last, either a cynic or melancholic or suicidal. Psalm 130 grapples mightily with suffering. It sings its way through it and provides usable experience for those who are committed to traveling the way of faith to God through Christ Jesus. So the whole psalm begins by saying, At this point in the journey, we need to talk honestly. Suffering happens. Pain happens. Hardship happens. Suffering is real. But the psalmist also says this, God is real. Eight times he mentions him by name. Suffering is real, but God is real. And that's the difference for the Christ follower. That's what's normal for the Christ follower. We don't just see the suffering. We see God in the middle of the suffering. Let's go to the second section. It says, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand it? So what does he say? God, if you kept a book of everything I've ever done wrong, a book would not be enough. It would be a small library or a large library. And I couldn't bear to have to go visit that. I couldn't bear to know that every time you look at me, all you see is the list All you see is everything I ever did wrong. That's all you ever see. The shame would be unbearable. But with you, there is forgiveness. Forgiveness is a habit with you. You forgive and forgive and forgive that you may be feared or that you may be worshipped. 
He said, you know, there are people in your life that are going to keep a long, 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 long list, and they're never going to let the list go. They're never going to be willing to erase it. They're never going to let it go. But here's what's beautiful about God. No list. Forgiven is forgotten. Forgiven is done. It's put away. It's gone. So it's important for us this morning as we look at that particular paragraph to understand the difference between guilt and shame because there is a difference. Guilt. Some people don't think guilt should happen. Christians should never feel guilty. I'm here today to tell you guilt is a gift from God. Guilt is a gift from God. Guilt is the Spirit of God taking a finger and just going, hello, hello, wherever your conscience is, hello, hello. Do you you know that what you just did is wrong? Do you know that that action was wrong? Do you know what you just said to that person you shouldn't have said? Do you know that even though you said it beautifully, your attitude stinks? <laughs> you look flowery, but, but inside. I smell the manure. Do you know? Do you know? It, it taps at us. It reminds us that something is wrong, that something, something's not right. And, and what's beautiful about guilt is that if we're willing to listen to that and go to God and confess our sin, that tap remains very, very noticeable. But when, but when we decide we're going to ignore it and just do it again and do it again and do it again, the tap becomes more faint and more faint and more faint. And eventually we don't feel it or hear it at all because our conscience is seared. Because we've just gone ahead and done the wrong thing so many times that we can't even hear the Spirit anymore saying, what are you doing? You need to stop. You need to change course. Guilt is a gift from God to let us know we've done the wrong thing and we need to change. Then there's shame. Shame is not from God. Guilt is a gift from God to remind us we've done the wrong thing. Shame is a place the enemy wants us to live. Shame, shame, is, shame is the enemy's way of saying, you are your sin. You are your sin. And you'll never be better than your sin. The fact is, our sin comes with consequences. And sometimes the shame we live in is because of the consequences of what we've done. Because let's face it, the thing we've done wrong, God forgives us, but the consequences remain. I would have to admit to you, you know, I'm, I, wasn't, I wasn't the worst junior higher and high schooler, um, but like any junior higher and high schooler, I did dumb things. And if I were to go back to my hometown now and run into some of my friends, there are at least a few of them that on approach, my head would be down. I'd be embarrassed, and I just, I just have to say, I apologize for being 15. I'm, just, I'm really sorry that I was so stupid. Please forgive me. There's that, sense of, there's that sense of shame there for things that have happened in the past. Guilt is great because guilt is telling us something needs to be fixed. Shame is shame's a destination where the enemy wants you to set up camp so that you'll be unusable to the Almighty God. So if we were to look around the room this morning, we notice that there, there are some devices in the room that are supposed to be helpful to us, and they are. There's a little red box over here on, on this wall right here with a, with a light on top, on and up front, that if it were working, you'd see a strobe blasting out through the room. 
You have one over here as well. You have this great exit sign that Jerry Stroman replaced for us not too long ago. Up here at the top, hard to see because of the spotlights, but there's a little, there's a little white panel up there, and it flashes to a little white panel on the back, and it's a smoke detector. It can actually see smoke, and, and I know it works really well because within the past couple of months, I was on a lift right up over here, and I got between the beam. I, got, I got, kind of got in the middle of it, and it thought I was smoke, and I got a visit from the Shanahan Fire Department. It works. It really works. So I know it works. When you look at this system, here's the way this is supposed to work. If there is smoke or fire in the building, we're supposed to hear noise, noise that would be unbearable enough that we'd want to leave. We'll see lots of flashing lights, and we'll know we got to get out of the building. That's guilt. Guilt says fire, smoke. It needs to be fixed. Something is wrong. Deal with it. Shame? Shame is a series of false alarms. And we're sitting here on this Sunday morning and it goes off and we all file off and wait in the parking lot and the fire department comes and they look around and they go, nothing going on, your system just malfunctioned. Okay, and we come in and 10 minutes later it goes off again and guess what? They're going to make us wait out there until they check and say, yeah, nothing wrong and it just keeps going like that. That's the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt actually detects there's something wrong that needs to be fixed. Shame keeps telling you that there's something wrong, but there is nothing wrong. Why? Because God is in the habit of forgiveness. And if you've asked him for forgiveness, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleans our heart. Keep going. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Which really, it brings us to our word, our word for this particular psalm, and it's the word waiting. Waiting is normal for the Christ follower. It is normal to wait. Now, there are different kinds of waiting. And we're going to learn that the kind of waiting that the Christ follower does is different than what you think. This isn't just enduring the pain, gritting your teeth, and waiting for it to end. This is a different kind of waiting. It's a different kind of waiting that involves hope. We'll define that more in a minute. Go back to this paragraph. I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. You've ever had to work nights? My dad did shift work growing up. In our house we referred to it as he was either working days, afternoons, or midnights. And nobody wanted to work at midnights. It was the worst. We just didn't, midnights destroys everything about your system. So as I grew a little bit older, I was like, I want to make sure that I do jobs that don't involve having to work midnights. I didn't want to have to work midnights. But I actually did a few. When I was in, uh, when I was in college, I worked at the, on the switchboard at Cedarville. So I'd be there from 2.30 to 7.30 in the morning, five days a week, waiting for calls from 2.30 to 7.30 in the morning. They don't come. They were really good. I mean, they, they recognized that we did not get many calls in the night. And so they'd say, it's okay if you do homework. It's okay if you even take a little nap as long as you don't fall asleep too hard. Well, the problem with me is I always fall asleep hard. That's just the way it goes. Boom, I'm out. So a couple of times I'd actually lay my head down on my arms and fall asleep. And then the phone would start to ring and I'd wake up and realize I had put my arms to sleep. Have you ever tried to answer a phone with sleeping arms? It just doesn't quite work. I stopped sleeping. It didn't work. When I got to seminary, I needed a job, 
And so I, I became an assistant manager at the Daily Herald. Now that sounds impressive until you hear what it is. I was an assistant manager helping to get newspapers delivered to Arlington Heights and Buffalo Grove and Wheeling. An assistant manager meant if a normal carrier did not show up on a given night, you get to deliver their newspapers. And so here I am driving through streets in Arlington Heights I knew nothing about. This is, this is pre the magic phone. I'll tell you where it is. You got the paper map out trying to figure out where you are, what you're doing. It's dark. More than once I had the cops pull me over thinking I was robbing a joint or something. I mean, it was just, it was lovely. Couldn't stand it. But anyway, it was good money. It worked. But my favorite all-night job only lasted one night. It was uh, when I was, I, I worked at a, a camp in the summers for three years of high school. I'd actually leave the, the week after school ended and come back a week before school started. And during the summer, I was either a, worked in the dish crew or worked as a cook or worked as a baker each of those three years. So this particular year, the camp, they had several campgrounds, several properties, and they were having trouble with uh, teens coming in and vandalizing their properties. And somehow they had found out, they, they had they had some uh, intelligence that there was going to be an attack on the 4th of July. I don't know how they knew this. This is, you know, pre-Facebook. It's not like people were Facebooking or something. I don't know, if party line, they heard somebody. I don't know what, I don't know how, but they had intelligence. And so they asked all of us, would you be willing to be a guard at the camp? I'm like, that sounds like a blast. Get to stay up all night. And they said, you know, we don't want you, I mean, you're 14 years old. You're not going out there and stopping the thief. You're, you are calling... I don't know if we had 911. We probably just had nine. But anyway, uh, you're calling the cops. They're coming out. They'll take care of it. But if there's a problem, you need to let us know. We're like, fine, this is great. So they put us out at the maintenance facility. I'm there with a friend. It's up against a mountain. It was a really cool spot. And I'm there at this maintenance facility. I'm like, man, we got to stay awake all night. And I like talking to you, but that's not going to cut it. We need something. Let's drink some coffee. Coffee will do it. I, I wasn't a coffee drinker at that time. At least I didn't make my own coffee. I really have kind of drank coffee all my life. My parents always made us carry the cup back to the kitchen after they were done. And on the way, you'd always notice there was a little good stuff at the bottom, and I'd slug that back because my mom and dad loved sugar in their coffee. And so it was just like the sweetest little swallow of coffee. Some of you are thoroughly grossed out, but, but it was wonderful. It was fantastic. So I'm like, I can't wait to drink a whole cup of this stuff for myself. So they had instant coffee for us. We took five packets, ripped them open, put them in our little five-ounce foam cup, took a whole bunch of packs of sugar, took a whole bunch of packs of cream, got the hot water in there, stirred it up, little stick was standing up right in the middle of it, and, and we went ahead and started to drink. And I'm telling you what, we were up all night long. Nothing about caffeine buzz. Our stomachs hurt so bad. It just, we had the worst stomach aches from all the coffee that we drank, that strong, strong coffee. And on that particular night, as we waited for these hooligans to come and destroy property, we waited and waited and waited and could not wait until it was light. We couldn't wait until morning finally came once again. Well, since then, I've not had jobs that require me to stay up all night. But there's this new phenomenon that happens when you're 55, 56, 57, 58. God loves to give you these moments of staring at the paint job on the ceiling. You, you, you're laying there sound asleep and boom, your eyes open. You're like, night's done? Oh no, it's 1230. I just went to bed about, why, what? Huh. 
and you're staring and you're looking at the paint job and thinking, man, Kim really needs to redo this. And you're just, you're staring and then you fall back to sleep. You fall back to sleep and, and, you, and you feel like you've slept for the longest time and 45 minutes later, you're staring at the paint job once again. And here's what I've learned. Here's what I've learned while I'm up. The robin starts singing before light. Chirp, 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 chirp. And then and then you know. When the robins start chirping, you know it won't be long. You know the long night is going to be done. And you know what's crazy? The second the light is up, the length of the night just seems to go away. All of a sudden, all of a sudden the night is gone. And and that feeling of dread that you had all night, it's just, it's gone. It says this, this is what it feels like to wait in our suffering. It's like the long night that you're staring at the paint on the ceiling and you're just waiting for the robins to chirp. Because you know at least if they start to chirp, it won't be long that you'll see a glimmer of sunlight stretch across the sky. Now in this waiting, he defines it for us here and in the next paragraph as well. He doesn't say this is about just enduring the night. Grit your teeth, be tough, come on, bear it, be bold. You can do it. No, what, what does he say? I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. The next paragraph. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. Do you hear what he's saying? Can you hear him? He's saying this isn't, this isn't just grit your teeth and bear it. This is knowing. This is, this is living in hopeful expectation. I am not alone in the middle of this night. In fact, God has a purpose for this night. And I'm listening to him. And I'm relying on him. And I'm trusting in him. So it is not simply wait patiently. Grit your teeth. No, the believer, the believer knows that suffering is real. And the believer also knows God is real. And the two join together. The two join together, together and give us the hopeful waiting that God intends for those who know him and trust him and love him. So I want you to think about two questions this morning as we move to communion. And the first is this. What are you waiting for? What's been, what's been the topic of your wait What's, it, what's just had your life on hold? You've waited. You've longed for a change. Something's got to break. It feels so stuck. It feels so dark. It feels like the robins will never chirp. And then beyond that, are you waiting with God? Not just an eye on your suffering but an eye on the hope that can only be known in God. The two go hand in hand. It's when the two go hand in hand that we actually realize what God has for us. So what we're going to do here is, um, Brian wondered what the chair was all about. I want to slow down for a couple moments before we go to communion. And I want us together to read some passages that talk about waiting for God. And I want you to think about your dark night And what your source of hope is in the dark night. 
Psalm 25, the psalmist says to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Almost sounds again like Psalm 130. Talking to you. Oh my God, in you I trust. Don't let me be put to shame. Please don't let me go to that place that the enemy wants me to live. Don't let the enemy exult over me. Indeed, none who wait for you will ever be put to shame. It doesn't say none who wait will never be put to shame. None who wait for you will ever be put to shame. They shall be ashamed who are wantonly treacherous. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. The waiting isn't just a nighttime thing. It's a daytime thing too. Oh, guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Psalm 27, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage, wait for the Lord. I on the suffering, I on the God in the middle of the storm. The suffering is real. God is too. God is not absent in the suffering. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his ways, over the man who carries out evil devices. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. I think that's the advantage of waiting at night. Pretty quiet. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I will not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Save me, O God. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I've come into deep waters. And the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes go dim with waiting for my God. Sometimes waiting has an element of pain to it. An element of desperation. It's possible to say, God, I am worn out with this and still believe in God. Still trust in God, still hope in God. That's what I love about Psalm 69 is the psalmist is so honest, so transparent. We tend to want to glaze over our suffering because we think somehow it's going to expose that we don't believe in God. We can believe in God and believe the pain is real. So as we go to communion, we'll be listening to a song that's a song by um, some Christian artists who actually sing Psalm 130. Listen to it, take it in. Walk to communion with those questions in mind. For what are you waiting? 
And are you waiting with God during your waiting? Is your hope in him? Two communion tables on either side of the platform. The one at the back table on this side near the sound room. And one near the main door. Gluten-free is on either side of the platform. And then there's also a gluten-free station at the main door as well. On the other side of where the gluten-rich communion is. So um, walk to communion. Take the long walk. Talk to God about your suffering. Acknowledge that you can hope in him. That you see the suffering, but you see him too. And so, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, we know you suffered. And we know that the whole time you suffered, your eyes were on your Father. You set the example for us of how to endure the long night. You, you began this whole communion process by the words, on, on the night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread. That long night. And you could endure that long night because your eyes were on your Father. Give us hope in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of you have had the privilege of meeting my grandson, Griffey. Uh, Griffey has the energy of 20 dogs inside of him. When you walk into Brian and Riley's house, this dog, though he's not supposed to, especially when it's me, will jump and jump and jump and full of energy, full of joy, full of life. I mean, I, I, it's like a little person. He's the best. And uh, Brian has taught him some things along the way, like Brian has taught him how to wait. And Griffey don't like to wait. I mean, you can see it in his face. Brian will go, stay. And this dog goes, mm, I may be staying on the outside, but I'm not staying on the inside. He can, he can taste that little bacon snack. He's so excited. He's just like, and the second Brian lets him go, man, boom, he's off to whatever he's been waiting for. God is not simply trying to teach you to stay. That isn't it. God, God, isn't, God isn't a dog trainer saying, sit, good boy. That's not what he's doing. Here's what God is trying to train you to do. And, and we know we're starting to figure out this waiting when this happens. That we're waiting and we're in the middle of our suffering and we can say, hey, oh. That we can recognize that the king of glory has entered in. That we can recognize that our suffering is real, but God is real. And God defines my existence and God defines my suffering, not the other way around. And so as you walk from this place today, don't just hear that you're a good boy, you're a good girl, if you learn to sit. It's when you can praise in the middle of the pain. It's when you can recognize that God is there and he is real. Suffering is real. Don't ignore it. But God is real. Put your hope in him. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here.